Hi, and welcome, or welcome back, to the Southside Baptist Church Podcast. This is week two of our six-week Home Field Advantage series. In this episode, we'll hear from Dr. Jerry Haig, who serves as president and CEO of One More Child, a leading child welfare agency meeting critical needs through foster care, anti-trafficking, child hunger, and single mom ministries. Under Dr. Haig's leadership, One More Child has increased from serving 3,351 children and individuals in 2007 to impacting 200,524 in 2017. During his tenure as president, he's guided the expansion of ministry sites from nine locations in Florida to 55 locations across the globe. Christy and I are excited to be with you this morning here at Southside, and we're so grateful for the incredible partnership that Southside and Florida Baptist Children's Homes and One More Child have shared over the decades. I mean, it's really amazing. Um, And then to be able to have Matt and Stacy read that word this morning, man, we're going to come back and I'm going to talk about Matt and Stacy just a little bit. But when, when we hear that word and how poignant and how powerful it is and how even more powerful it is, particularly to me, coming from the two of them because they are living out God's word and God's command. Um, as we look and you saw the, the title of my sermon is The Only Thing. That's pretty powerful right off the bat, right? You've got to think the only thing. This has got to be important. And when, when, I, when I see the only thing, I start thinking about some of those quotes, and maybe, maybe you did too, some of those famous quotes like Edmund Burke, when he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that's the only thing. And then I go back to FDR, just, I mean, post-depression, in his inauguration speech, his first speech to the United States, FDR said, the only thing to fear we have to fear is fear itself. I want to talk about the only thing today, but what the Bible says is the only thing. These were great men, but the Bible clearly says to us that the only thing, we're going to come back to it in just a minute, but as I look back at more than a decade of ministry that Christy and I have been able to share with Florida Baptist Children's Homes and One More Child, I marvel. I mean, literally, I, I just am amazed at what all God has done through FBCH and One More Child for disadvantaged, abused, abandoned, and neglected children. And I know it's because it's the very heart of what God wants to be done, but I also know it's because we've been praying big, we've been dreaming big, and, and together we've been obedient to what God wants us to do to be able to help vulnerable children and struggling families. Um, when you consider praying big, always think about kids, because kids pray big, don't they? Kids, kids pray what they really want. And so I was thinking about uh, one of them named Terry, and Terry said this. Terry said, God, please bless us so that we'll work hard at school, so that dad will work hard at work, and that mom well, she'll do whatever she does during the day. <laughs> and then another child, uh, six-year-old Sydney, and sometimes they really shoot for the moon, but I can really relate to what Sydney prayed. Sydney said this, God, please bless that no one will ever throw up, ever. Like, hey, Sydney, I'm backing you. What a good prayer, right? I like that. Kids pray big because it's their heart. They say, well, this is what I want. I'm going to ask for it. And I think they also believe that they're going to get that prayer when they ask and when they pray for those things. Christy and I talk a lot about praying big. 
It's how we live our life. It's part of, I, I, not only is it how we live our life, it's our expectation of what God is going to do, but even more so, it's a recognition of the God we serve. It's a recognition that God can do these amazing things that we can only dream and cannot even uh, begin to be able to put in place. So 12 years ago, Christy and I began praying a very simple little prayer, but it's a big prayer. That little prayer that we began praying is, God, give us the world for children. Think about that for a minute. God, give us the world for children. Now, when I pray this prayer, and when Christy and I have prayed this prayer over the years, here's what I know. It matches God's desire and God's heart. I'm praying in agreement with God because God wants his children to be fed. God wants his children to be clothed. God wants his children to be cared for. God wants his children to have safe places sleep tonight. And God wants his children to come to know his son, Jesus Christ. In Acts 1.8, we see the beginnings of the church. And, and it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Of course, we know that verse, but it starts local and it ends global. And it's the same thing about God give us the world for children. Whether these children are sitting in our pews, whether they're across the street, or whether they're somewhere around the world. But what I know is with that prayer and with that anthem, God give us the world for children, is that it can't ha- cannot happen unless we put our compassion into action. As we look at that and we begin inspecting, we begin looking, we begin seeing the needs of children that are out there. And I think that's really that first step, isn't it? Beginning to see a child that has a need. Being able to see a person that has a hurt. Being able to see an individual or a friend that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But really looking at them and really seeing them and then taking that next step. Just in what was read in the scripture this morning. Not only seeing, but then reaching out in action and being the hands of Jesus Christ. Well, because of us seeing and looking out, and I'm saying us together, as FBCH and One More Child in partnership with Southside, we were able to impact over 249,000 children and adults this past year. In addition to that, which is fantastic, we were also able to provide over 7.4 million meals to hungry children and adults. I mean, I celebrate that. I celebrate those doors that God opens for us to be the hands and the feet of his son, Jesus Christ. I mean, in short, that's a lot of food. In short, that's a lot of help that we've been able to provide. But here's what I know. It's not nearly enough. I know it's not enough because there is one more child out there that's still waiting for you and me to run to them with the feet of Jesus, to be able to reach out to them and feed them uh, with the hands of Jesus, to be able to bring them a hug, a home, and ultimately the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, one way I know that it's not enough is because the reality that Florida is the third largest hub for child sex trafficking in our nation. I mean, I can look just here in the state of Florida, not even beyond. But in Florida, this past year, 24,000, almost 24,000 children were removed from their homes because of abuse, abandonment, and neglect. I run through those numbers and they say 24,000. I mean, let that sink in. Not as a statistic, but as a reality of many precious little ones 
And then we look across and we know from a hunger perspective, one in five children in Florida will struggle with hunger this year. It's hard to imagine when we look how many kids are in this room and we'd say one out of every five of them will be hungry. That's why we continue and we have to continue to press forward as the body of Christ. But we need to put our faith into action and not just with our words. You see, our faith is measured by not only uh, what we say with our lips, but also then what we do with our hands. You know, there's a place, as the Bible talked about, there's a place for that encouragement to be able to offer someone a blessing. But we can't just offer that blessing and offer our words without offering them our acts of service. In fact, the Bible says very clearly, if we only act with our lips and not with our hands, we are being disobedient to God's call. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it goes back of what we read. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, I love how the Bible lays this out of saying, uh, if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be well fed. You know what the modern translation of that is for us within a Christian circle? What do we say? Praying for you, brother. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah, I'll be praying for you today. But you know, that's, that's exactly that same thing, isn't it? Go in peace, be warm, and be well fed, but I'm going to neglect to enter into life with you. I'm going to neglect to be able to meet that need that I see so presently today. What God is saying in James is that faith without deeds is worthless. I mean, what God is saying to each of us is simply caring about children, having a, I mean, a hurt for them, and aren't those terrible statistics? But if we do nothing about it, it's worthless. You and I, as the body of Christ, have to get our hands dirty by immersing into the mess of other people's lives. Christy and I talk about it and our staff about jump into their puddle. <laughs> and why is it a puddle? Because puddles are messy, aren't they? Puddles are dirty. Puddles are leftover, and it's got a lot of stuff in there. You know what? People are like that too, don't they? People, you and me, I mean, we've all got our puddles. But we need to jump into the puddle with those around us. I've seen so many children over the past two decades, and Christy even more so, that have experienced trauma in their lives. You may have, you may have seen some of those. You may not have, given where you live and you work or where, where, what interactions you have. But when children and people are struggling with trauma, they also experience a great deal of shame. It typically accompanies that, that they have this great shame that accompanies the trauma that they've suffered. Jody, one of our staff who works in our anti-trafficking work for child victims of sex trafficking, um, she said this, she says, when a vulnerable child feels your compassion, they feel your peace. Isn't that something? When a vulnerable child feels your compassion, they feel your peace. So when someone's in trauma and they feel your compassion, they feel your peace. You know what they're feeling. I mean, when they feel your compassion, they're experiencing the love of Jesus Christ. When they feel your peace, 
They're feeling the peace of God that passes all understanding. You know, I think it's poignant that that person would feel our compassion, that they could then experience peace. It's not that they're experiencing our judgment. It's not they're experiencing our shame. It's not that they're experiencing our pity, but they're experiencing our compassion. You see, we cannot simply see somebody's problems and hope that they get solved, hope that they're able to go away. We can't see a hungry child and hope that their stomach will be full. We can't cross paths with a single mom who's struggling, providing housing for her children, and simply hope that they can be able to get their life together. And we cannot simply expect full healing to come upon a child that's been abandoned, abused, and neglected without wrapping our arms around that foster child and welcoming them into an amazing Christian home. We can't simply see someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and simply hope that one day that they'll come to know Jesus without sharing our words with them. Of course, you know that as I'm talking about this, I would quote from James, right? If I'm, I'm, I'm the child guy, and James is one that speaks about widows and orphans, and he speaks about faith without deeds is useless. But you know what? That same truth is communicated throughout our entire Bible. In fact, in John, 1 John chapter 3, it, it carries it even a step further because 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speak or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now let's break that verse down. When it says, do you have material possessions? Anyone has material possessions? So everybody's doing a self-assessment. Go, okay, yes, I've, I have material possessions. Check. Well, what about seeing a brother or sister in need and having pity on them? You know what? I think sometimes that happens, but if we're truthful, it doesn't always happen that way, does it? Because what we choose to not do is to see that person who is in need and have pity on them. Sometimes we see them, right? And we just don't have pity on them. We just think, well, and, and I don't know about you, how many times have you heard or, or maybe even said, well, you know what, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, that's not having pity on a person. And many of those times, we just choose not to see by not looking, don't we? There's a person that has a need, and maybe they're homeless, or they're holding a sign, and what do we do? We plow ahead. We don't want to glance down. We don't want to look. We don't want to humanize that person. But, but let's say, as the verse says, that we do. I mean, we, we know that we have material possessions. We look at this person. We see them. We have pity on them. But then it makes that next statement, which is so convicting on them. And we do nothing. Oh, isn't that piercing? I mean, it's convicting to me to be able to think about. But it says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I mean, God's word is abundantly clear. You and I as the body of Christ, as Christ's followers, we need to look at people. We need to have pity on them. But then we need to go beyond just saying, God bless you, brother. I'll be praying for you. But we need to be moved to meet that need as Christ followers. You know, there's a verse that God's convicted me about this entire year. I don't know what it is. It seems like every year God gives me a verse. Um, and there's a lot of verses in there, so I don't know that he gives it to me personally. 
But it's a verse, and I read it, and I go, man, that's an awesome verse. I love that verse. And I can go back through years of of different verses that I've just kind of carried throughout the year. And this verse has just, I mean, been terribly convicting for me. And it's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. It's the only thing that we were talking about. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. And the second half of that verse says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love now if we consider the context of that verse you say well yeah yeah, you might be pulling out a little bitty tiny bit but what does the rest of that chapter say you know what it's saying all prior to that before it gets down to that it's talking to uh it's talking to the galatians there and it's it's telling them Um, They were trying to be justified by their works. They were trying to be justified by following the rules, by being circumcised. And so Paul works all the way down through that and says, it's not about that. And he gets to that point, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And now how many times do you and I try to work through following all those different rules? I get my hair cut right right? Do you like my haircut? Short? No, I got it. It's not long. It's not out of control or anything. I follow the rules. I go to the right places. I say the right kinds of things. And, and, and you know what God says? God says, it doesn't matter. I'm not interested in your rules. The only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. Now, let me give you a further example of that. Because of my love for God, I follow his ways, not because I'm earning my salvation, not because I'm working toward being accepted by God, but because an expression of my love and my faith in God. Because of my love for Jesus, I tell others about Jesus Christ. And so, you know, if, the, if you're around me any point in time, you're going to hear me talking about Christy. You've heard me talk about her several times. We've been married 31 years. She's amazing. She's my best friend. I mean, if you're around me any point in time, you're going to hear me talking about my two sons, Ben and Brady. You know why? They're amazing guys, and I love those boys. I'm proud of them. Well, you know what? If I am walking in a love relationship with Jesus Christ, that same thing's going to happen, isn't it? If you're around me any amount of time, then I'm going to talk about Jesus. Why? Because he's amazing. Why? Because I love him. Why? Because I want you to come to know my Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I love the emphasis. I'm not sure if your church is doing it, but that our convention's launched about who's your one. Identifying that one person that you can share Jesus Christ with. Man, that is a fantastic emphasis. But I think it leads to a second question. Not only who's your one, but why are they your one? Why are they your one? Is it motivated out of your deep love for that person? And because you love that person so dearly, you want them to be able to come to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, because of my love for others, I am moved to meet their needs not just with my words. And I, I talked about Ben and Brady a little while ago. And, and what do you do for your children, for your friends? Well, you know what? With Ben and Brady, and now they're grown men, they're bigger than I am. But you know what? When they were raising them up and we were taking care of them, what did we do? We told them about Jesus, didn't we? Absolutely. But what else did we do? We fed them. We clothed them. We said prayers with them at night. We cried with them. We laughed with them. We entered into life with them. Well, now, how is that different than those that are outside our circles as well? 
What about those that we don't know or those that we don't love? Shouldn't we be doing the same with them? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says, uh, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? You know, Jesus takes that a step further, doesn't he? He said, you know, it's easy to love people that, that are likable. Easy to love those people that are within your circle. But I'm telling you to even love those who hate you. And so how do we love those people? I look at what Jesus' example is, and I say, you and I, as the body of Christ, we have to follow Jesus' example. And so how did he love others? You know how he loved others? He said he looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them. So what did he do? He fed them because he loved them. He stopped and he talked to the woman at the well. You remember that? That inconvenient woman and a terribly inconvenient time, but he stopped and he entered into life and relationship with that woman. He healed the woman that was in the crowd as all the people were pressing around him. He stopped for one person. He restored sight and then ultimately he gave his life on a cross for you and me and he shed his blood and he died and he was buried and he rose again so that you and I could experience forgiveness of sins, so that you and I could be adopted into God's family with our Heavenly Fathers, Heavenly Father. We as Christ followers, I need to follow Jesus' example by giving our lives for others. I doubt there are many in this room that are going to be giving their lives literally for someone else in our death, like Jesus did. But here's what I do know is that we ought to be living our lives for others as we live our daily lives, as we're going through those daily lives to be able to live it out. You see, all this was so innate in Jesus' life. It was, it was just part of who Jesus was. And as Christ followers, we need to do the same. I love in Matthew 11, chapter 4. Remember when John the Baptist sent his disciples to, to get word to Jesus to say, Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? I love Jesus' response. And it was a response that had been prophesied in Isaiah. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. Here's how you'll know it's the Messiah. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. If we are going to follow Jesus, our lives need to look like Jesus. And Jesus' life was characterized by love. In Corinthians, we know that the big three, faith, hope, and love, it says of these things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's got to be about God's love. And if we look at someone and we truly love them, then we're going to be moved to action, aren't we? If we look at Jesus and we truly love Jesus, then there's going to be an outflow of that in our lives to those around you. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, I want to share with you four stories that I've seen of people that have, ex have expressed their faith through love. Uh, they've done it through compassion, through sympathy, but they put their faith into action. One of those ways I've seen faith express itself through love is through amazing foster families. 
I've seen that because of we had a uh, we got a phone call about a two month old that was removed from the home and and that two month old is little boy's name uh, it's not his real name is Luke he had been beaten so severely he wasn't expected to make it through the night he and his two brothers were removed from that house and we called one of our one more child foster families that drove to the hospital in a neonatal ICU that foster family. That mom sat up with Luke all night. She prayed with him. She sang with him. She loved Luke as if he was her very own. By God's grace, Luke survived that night and the next and the next. And then after several months, Luke was able to leave the hospital and be reunited with his two brothers in one of our incredible Christian foster families. I see faith expressing itself through love. They were, those three boys were one of the almost 1,500 foster children that we were able to care for through one of our Christian foster homes. That action that we can take, and God may be calling you to become one of those foster families like Matt and Stacy. I tell you what, I was so happy and excited to meet them because, y'all, these are my heroes. Heroes of the faith. Heroes that are ready to jump into the puddle, that are ready to be a part of a child who has a need. And and you say, well, yeah, but I, I can't foster. Yeah, but you have and you can through helping to support them by wrapping around them, by, by setting up a foster care wraparound system so that your church can wrap around not only foster families in your church, but in the community as well as foster families that live on our campuses. Um, it, there's so many ways that you can express your faith and love to those foster families. You know, I talked earlier about Jody, one of our staff that works with child victims of sex trafficking, and, and one of those children that she works with is named Audrey. Now, Audrey came from a place where she had a, didn't have a good father figure. In fact, she didn't have a good mother figure either in her home. Audrey was looking for someone who would affirm her, someone who would tell her she was important, someone to tell her that she was beautiful, someone to tell her that she had value and had meaning. And she found that in an older man, but this wasn't an older man that she could trust. And this older man began to traffic Audrey. We were able to help rescue Audrey. And as she came into our safe home and our staff, like Jody, began to peel away that gut-wrenching trauma that she had been through, she began to see that there is a heavenly father and to know and experience his love. And that love that when our heavenly father in her life is very real and says, Never will I leave you, and never will I, will I forsake you. You can help stand in the gap and take a stand for children that have been trafficked through our Traffic Stop Action Network. It's a closed Facebook group, but that you can be able to join in. It's a movement so that you can be able to uh, act on behalf of exploited children. I see faith expressed in love through our Single Moms program. Audrey and her two kids had been, um, uh, Audrey had fled an abusive relationship with her two children. In fact, she and her children were living in a homeless shelter before they came into our program. I see that faith lived out through love through a mentor, a volunteer mentor who met with Audrey on a weekly basis and, and, and introduced her to the love of Jesus Christ. 
one of our staff who was able to place her in a home where she could be safe, and then our director who was able to help her to be able to get her GED, to be able to save 30% of her income, and then to be able to help her successfully graduate with the program and her two children. I've been able to see that take place, and now she's able to be able to transition towards self-sufficiency. And you can join in by putting your compassion into action, by expressing your faith through love, by helping to provide lawn care and auto care for a single mom, of being one of those mentors that meets with a mom on a weekly basis, or, or being able to just provide meals for those moms and for their kids as they meet. Finally, I want to tell you about a little boy named Will. Uh, Will was at school, and he was having a tough time in classes He got sent to the principal's office regularly, particularly early in the week. And what they found out was Will was being really disruptive because Will was hungry. They found out when Will would go home over the weekends, the pantry was empty. And so, you know, you and I, and how many times have your kids or grandkids come home and they look in the pantry and go, we don't have any food. My boys did that. And the reality was we had food, but we didn't have the food they wanted. But for Will, he didn't have any food. And so it began to show in his performance at school. And and that little boy was hungry. That little boy was hangry. And so when we got a call from his counselor, we were able as one more child to be able to make sure now that Will has a backpack full of food every weekend when he goes home. Now, Will will not go hungry over the weekend. Think about putting that love, expressing our, our faith into action. And think, what if we hadn't? What if we, what if we hadn't been there for Will and we'd just seen a little boy that was not performing in school and said, he needs to act up? What if we had seen a mom and two struggling kids and it was Audrey and her two children, we said, well, they need to get their life together. And we hadn't stepped in to be able to say we can help transform Audrey's life and her two children. I mean, what if uh, for, um, what if, I'm sorry, Stacy and her two children, what if for that child that had been trafficked, we said, you know what, that's a terrible thing, but we're not going to be there to meet those needs. Or what if like Matt and Stacy, if, if they had to come forward and they said, you know what, we see that those foster children that have needs, but... Um, We don't have a place for Luke and his two brothers. And so we just say, go and be blessed. And you know what? I'm praying for you. It's convicting, isn't it? You and I as Christ followers about how we have to put our faith into action. As we begin to close, I'd ask you this morning, are you holding back? Have you been expressing your faith through your action and through your love? And so this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ to come in your heart, I want to invite you right now to be able to say, God, pick me. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm, I know that you died on the cross. I know that you shed your blood. I know that because of that, and then you were buried and you rose again, that if I invite you into my heart as a gift, I can be adopted into God's family. I don't understand it all, but I know I need it. I know I need forgiveness I know I need to be able to leave the shame and the guilt behind me. I want to invite you this morning to be able to pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be adopted into God's family. And if you're here this morning as a Christian, I'd ask you, are you expressing your faith through love? 
And if you're not, are you willing to take that first step? It's not too late to be able to say to this week, I'm going to express my faith through my love for Jesus Christ. So as you would, if we begin this time of invitation, if you'll stand and join me in a word of prayer, Pastor Ron will be here at the front, and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I want to invite you to be able to do those two things. One, if you've never accepted Christ, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Two, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I express my faith, I express my faith through love, and I've done it through my words, but I want to do it through my actions. Let's begin this prayer time. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for letting us come into your place. And God, we thank you for your power that we hear in the thunder. God, for anyone here that does not know your son Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day. And if you're here and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, to pray this prayer with me now. God, I know I've sinned. I know I've done wrong in your sight. I don't want to do it anymore. God, please forgive my sin. I'm turning away from it. Jesus, please come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. If you prayed that prayer with me now, you've been adopted into God's family. I want to encourage you to be able to share that with Pastor Ron here in just a little bit. But if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be able to examine your heart and pray as David prayed when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. So God, we come before you now. God, you know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know our motives and you know our actions. You know the depth of our love. You know the depth of our action and our inaction. And so, God, we come to you now and ask you to make a move in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you during our Wednesday or Sunday gatherings here on campus. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast and download our free app by searching SSBC Jacks in the App Store or in Google Play. You can get access to our recent messages and keep up with all that's going on here at Southside. For directions, for service times, and information about our wonderful next-gen children environments, please visit us at ssbc.org.